Good morning and welcome backwards. Gonna keep flowing with this stuff on stoicism. Perfect advice if you are in a pinch, things are difficult. You don't know how you got here. You want to get out, but you can't. And all you really can do is say, I am going to humbly embrace the bitter medicine of my circumstances create inner space, cultivate inner freedom, work with the conditions that were provided to me, find a way to activate the positive within the negative, first perhaps realize that there even is a positive within the negative, cut away and break free from all of the unnecessary drama and oh my god life is such a big deal poor me i am a victim of life and circumstances can you believe everything that's happening oh my god everything's so horrible instead embrace the yoga of stoicism which is to say the practice of equanimity and a cultivation of our character and remembering that to practice philosophy is a dharma practice and meaning that it's not something that is just something we're going to talk about and write on a paper so that somebody can acknowledge that we are so smart and give us a positive attention and feedback and then we can continue perpetuating whatever delusional bullshit and misery we have continued to find ourselves in instead it is a practice for us to ruthlessly in in an unperturbed manner look at ourselves and by unperturbed maybe mean more like unwavering like i'm just going to keep looking at this until i understand why these are the circumstances that which i am caught in and i'm going to do what is in my capacity and power to make a difference to change it so in essence, the practice of Stoicism and the practice of Dharma, whether it's yogic or Buddhist or shamanic, whatever it is, is a active turning of the wheel. I'm wearing this t-shirt right now that I like a lot. It's got like this Thai kind of looking wrathful deity on it. And he's holding this sword, which almost looks like a big uh, crank, like a you know churning stick. And the idea, I like to think of it as it's like, it's taking the will, harnessing the power of the will and reorienting it in the direction that you want to go. Which, if you look at this dude, he's got like really gnarled teeth and crazy eyes. And you can say, on some level, one has to be perhaps a little bit crazy to actively pursue the path of attempting to manipulate and seize the inner power and control of one's own mind and emotional state and i would say you have to be a little crazy because the general consensus and flow is avoid discomfort seek pleasure avoid confrontation especially with yourself <laughs> and avoid difficult conversations be, be a victim it's everyone else's fault that this happened you didn't do anything wrong. I could not have done anything wrong. Precious me could not have done anything wrong in the circumstances. So you have to be a little more tenacious, persevering, and fearless, and hard-nosed, so to speak, in order to 
sincerely move forward on this path of attempting to change oneself because in the process of changing oneself naturally you're going to come across all the things that are sustaining and perpetuating addictive self-destructive toxic behavioral patterns that you which right you probably have inherited from a lot of other people and it's not even so much something that is quote-unquote yours coming from you it's something that is just a byproduct of the times and the environment that you're in uh who knows what life was like before we were around but obviously it's a little bit fragmented from the natural world so uh i mean just looking at things like that run rampant addiction depression anxiety obesity all kinds of ill will towards one's neighbors lack of genuine sense of community and caring like there's a lot of things that we have inherited that have created the environment so i remember listening to a interview with maynard from tool and he was talking about how there's a cycle of abuse and how victims become uh perpetrators and how it's like yeah we inherit the circumstances and situation but then we go out and then we uh carry on those cycles and he's saying how can we become the ones who interrupt and break from that cycle create a wedge from the automatic behavior and free ourselves and others coming back to this quote again from maestro manuel rufino this quote of control of one's character is destiny a lack of control of one's character is karma reinforced. So I like to draw a lot of parallels between, you know, this Greek Roman philosophy and yoga and Buddhism because it, it we're just talking about the inner workings of oneself. And it doesn't really matter what culture or time period you come from, it's all relatively the same. Right? This is the thing Joseph Campbell is always talking about, like in the book The Masks of God, that there's different uh shapes and forms and colors and sizes of things but at the end of the day the inner working of the whole thing the territory is universal because the human spirit and the human soul is not something that's limited to one culture or one time period so looking at what is the common thread through all these different wisdom traditions and how can we learn from each one because each one has like a unique and pinpoint spin on the general path so to speak of becoming a more aware and free person because that's fundamentally what i think this is all about is how do we become free freedom that is what we're looking for we're looking to break free and what is fantastic about the stoic perspective is that they're not saying that freedom comes from possessions or from power and it becomes a lot more hard-hitting because these are people the stoic philosophers that is of a lot of wealth and power and it's kind of funny right because you're like okay well why is it that you have all this stuff then so there's a kind of like an oftentimes a contradiction but nonetheless we can look at these people and say i have faith in what you're saying because you have that thing that people are craving fame attention money power status you know uh, which is something especially thousands of years ago which was even infinitely less abundant and more rare than it is now so 
we can have a lot more faith, I think, in what they're saying. And of course, not everybody. And that's what's cool about the Stoic too. Is the first quote of the person we're gonna go to is Epictetus. And I was been saying this a lot in the last podcast. This person was a slave. He was a slave. Here we are talking about him thousands of years later. Marcus Aurelius studied his work. So obviously, it's a philosophy that is applicable to the most powerful person or someone with utterly no power. But what we're trying to do is is wrap our minds around the perspective that power and freedom is not something that's in the outside world. It's something that comes from within. It's self-control. It's temperance. It's a tempering of our passions. It's a equanimity. It's a balance. It's a lack of craving. It's contentment. It is stillness and being able to connect to silence and genuine care for other people and essentially perspective as to what's happening and what matters. And this is something, right, that we have in many ways not been conditioned to see. If you drive down a street, city street, it's like money, cars, and clothes, alcohol, tobacco, beautiful women in bikinis, whatever else kind of desire thing you're looking for. This is what the this is the definition of success. And I think obviously, at least I would hope, a lot of people on this podcast have kind of distanced themselves from you know that rat race perspective, which is just that a race for rats. But nonetheless, we have to consistently challenge our mentality as to what we're striving for and understand what is actually of value and worth in the world and seek as the buddhists would say reality you know that which is not changing that which has a eternal presence to it and they say one of the teachers of the initiate tradition elder brother that 99.9 percent of the path is just unlearning so that's why in a lot of ways i think it can be tremendously uncomfortable and you might need to take on the disposition of a wrathful deity churning the you know the muck of your own self and to look at those things because it is in a lot of ways highly confrontational which is inherently in opposition to what our our uh, protected little self wants we want to feel comfortable and coddled and in the womb and provided for and instead to feel uh, friction and tension and exertion we don't want that fundamentally but if we can shift our perspective to understand why that's beneficial for us perhaps then we can rework our desire system where we can say oh no i do want that i want to run towards the fire I am running towards the gunshots, metaphorically speaking. So how can we reorient ourselves towards moving into challenge and friction and understanding that within that process lies freedom? So this first passage by Epictetus here says, The unrestricted person who has in hand what they will will in all events is free. But anyone who can be restricted, coerced, or pushed into something against what they will is a slave. And, right, again, this is coming from a slave who, from what I remember, he does become free later. But what he's trying to get at here is that it doesn't matter how much money you have. As Seneca says, slavery resides under marble and gold. 
meaning you can have all the money in the world and all the power, but then all of a sudden that money and that power just takes on full control of you. And throughout this book, a compilation of quotes by Ryan Holiday in his own commentary, he keeps mentioning Fight Club and there's that quote in Fight Club, right? The things that you own end up owning you. So this idea, right, of like, the person who's truly free is the one who can just let things come and go and can move in accordance with their own interconnection with nature because this is what the Stoics are really emphasizing is connection with what's natural and an inner, inner harmony with nature. That's sort of at the very core of the whole thing. A virtuous life in harmony with nature. Having courage, temperance, dignity, having balance. So, do not, uh, what is it that they say? Gain the world and lose your soul. This is the essence of what I think he is talking about here. Next quote, Marcus Aurelius. Whenever someone has done wrong by you, immediately consider what notion of good or evil they had in doing it. For when you see that, you will feel compassion instead of astonishment or rage. For you may yourself have the same notions of good or evil or similar ones, in which case you'll make an allowance for what you've done. But if you no longer hold the same notions, you'll be more readily gracious for their error. So this is this idea of, right, going back to another quote from Christ saying, if you are seeing the situation in your brother's eye but you don't see the one in your own then you're failing to act in right accordance with nature meaning look at yourself you are the one who acts this way just as much as anyone else does if you can act from a place of compassion and understand where is this coming from what trickery of the mind is this person caught in that is leading them to act in this way and understand that you yourself are often caught in it. So forgive them. You know not they know not what they do. They are caught. And Ryan Holiday has a quote here from Socrates. Nobody does wrong willingly. In the first philosophy class I used to have, the professor would love to just talk about this constantly. This phrase was their favorite phrase. Nobody does wrong knowingly. People love to try and argue with them. But just the same premise like a lot of people get from you know, ceremonial work is this understanding that, like, we all come to the situation with the state of consciousness that is at the best that we have at that moment. And we're just doing what's best from what that state of consciousness is informing us from. And it's a helpful way to practice forgiveness, especially with things like our parents or people maybe that have caused us trauma or we so think. And just to understand that, like, no one does wrong knowingly. People are doing the best that they can with the circumstances that they have. And if you can take the extra mindful perspective of like, why are they acting like this? What circumstances led that person to become a monster? Who abused that person first? Maybe then we can meet the situation with more compassion. And then we can break that cycle and bring more light into the space. Epictetus, whenever you find yourself blaming providence, 
Turn it around in your mind and you will see that what has happened is in keeping with reason. Another opportunity, right, to empower ourselves is taking full responsibility for what's what's happening just in the situation, no matter how ugly or despicable it is. And when we find ourselves in the place of judgment, not looking to push fault on some like divine source or something like that or life is so unfortunate oh my god poor me but really just turning back and being like okay there are circumstances through the premise of interconnectivity through the web of interconnectedness that have led this situation to occur and we cannot have an isolated self, right? That's just drawing a little bit more on Buddhism, but it's the same premise of recognizing that there's a totality in the whole and everything is impacting everything else and that what is according is in somehow in harmony with the laws of nature in that respect. And we might not want it, but it is something that if we push blame onto life, then we're failing to take responsibility for what has occurred within our own field. And then we are disempowering ourselves. So it can feel kind of contrary to what you may have been told or raised, but taking responsibility for failure and ownership for something that has gone totally wrong is actually a deeply empowering act. We're recognizing, first of all, that like we don't know everything, that we are, you know, at the mercy on some level of things, recognizing like, okay. Like there's forces within me that I don't have control over and recognizing that now gives you the opportunity to gain control of those things. How, if you don't have an awareness of what you don't have control over, then how will you ever gain the strength and the mental skills needed to take those forces and utilize them to your own potential? Diogenes Laertius. Zeno would say, would also say that nothing is more hostile to a firm grasp on knowledge than self-deception. So this is another one of those coming back to the same premise. It's impossible for a person to begin to learn what they think they already know. And this is why, you know, it's like a lot of times with these Dharma talks or with Stoic things, we perhaps have come across these concepts over and over and over again to the point ad nauseum. Nonetheless, we have to keep coming back to them over and over and over again. Because even if you've read the same words, there's that famous quote, right? You never enter the same river twice because you are changing. Circumstances are changing. The information is suddenly hitting from a different place and impacting you in a different way. So remembering to always have a beginner's mind to be a student to be open and always coming back to the fundamentals like there's uh the famous teacher Dilgo Kinsale Rinpoche there was a monk just talking about him and he was like yeah you know we always hear don't be attached be equanimous you know emptiness compassion but when you hear it from that person it's like whoa wow it opens something really special and so this is the important thing is that we always have the humility to come back to the fundamentals. This is why I'm constantly going back to these things within these texts. It's like I've read all this stuff. I've heard it. It's repetitive, but it always hits in a different way because there's always something about the moment that is shifted and it can speak to what's occurring. 
But if we have just nothing but area, it's like, I already know all that, blah, blah, blah. Then we might miss something that is very important coming through. Marcus Aurelius, were you to live 3,000 years or even a countless multiple of that? Keep in mind that no one ever loses a life other than the one they are living. And no one ever lives a life other than the one they are losing. The longest and the shortest life, then, amount to the same. For the present moment lasts the same for all and is all anyone possesses. No one can lose either the past or the future. For how can someone be deprived of what's not theirs? So, just an invitation in many ways to break free from the oppression of the future and the past that the mind creates. And like you, When I hear him talk about this, it just, Eckhart Tolle comes into mind, right? This idea of like past and future, that is the mind. That is the mind. The mind is just a script of the past and the future and a worry about the future and a concern over the past. If we can break from it, we can find freedom in the present moment and this is all that is there, and it's all that anyone possesses. And it's like a powerful moment, right? The present moment lasts the same for all, and is all anyone possesses. And like that is a powerful statement because this is the emperor of Rome who possesses so, so much more than so many other people, allegedly. And he's saying, no, really, all anyone possesses is this present moment. Do not trade it away for a fictitious future that is not here yet in a past that has already departed. Be here now. Marcus Aurelius Hold sacred your capacity for understanding, for in it is all, that our own ruling principle won't allow anything to enter that is either inconsistent with nature or with the consist constitution of a logical creature. It's what demands due diligence, care for others, and obedience to God. So he's trying to put on a pedestal our capacity for meditation, our capacity for mindfulness, our capacity to be contemplative of what's happening, to be understanding. I one time was super angry. This was something over like a decade ago. <laughs> and someone came up to me and they just put my hand on me. I was very visibly upset. And they just go, you need to understand. <laughs> And then I was like, what? You need to understand, like in this very cinematic type of way. Let's put it like that in a very funny context. And that has stuck with me for over a decade, this idea of like, you need to understand your way out of pain and trauma, abuse, mistakes, and failure. That's the antidote. Not getting further interwoven and caught up in it, not getting more angry, not getting more emotional, but becoming more understanding. That's the remedy. The remedy is understanding. The medicine is fundamentally that, understanding. If you can understand, like deeply understand where things are coming from, why it's there and what to do about it, that's incredibly empowering and incredibly liberating. So spend time in contemplation and spend time in silence. Spend time in meditation. Wake up early if you don't have the time and space. Go to bed early so you can wake up early enough so you can get that time and space. It's possible. I know it's possible. And it's essential. Hold sacred the capacity for understanding. 
It's what demands due diligence, care for others, and obedience to God. And we're not talking about, right, a uh, monotheistic guy who's pissed off in the sky who needs lots of money and all that stuff. We're talking about life itself as God, the present moment as God. We're talking about that the under the process of understanding is a way for us to access the doorway into the present moment in connection with source do not trade it away just for instagram posts please (laughs) epictetus you are not your body and your hairstyle but your capacity for choosing well if your choices are beautiful so too you will be and Right, who doesn't like Fight Club? Once again, Ryan Holiday says, quoting Fight Club, you are not your job, you're not how much money you have in the bank, you are not the car you drive, you're not the contents of your wallet. This same premise of like, how are we trying to access beauty on the superficial, surface, highly unstable way of just dressing ourselves up a certain way or through the discernment of right action and understanding like it's our character, it's how we treat other people, it's how we maneuver through the world in adversity and discomfort. That's what determines true beauty. Looking pretty or fancy or rich or whatever, those things come and go very flippantly. And in times of crisis, they are exposed for being totally worthless. There was a some TED talk or something I was listening to about a guy who was escaping Vietnam during the war. And they got boarded by a bunch of pirates people who were also from Southeast Asia and they tried to give them money and the pirates just looked at it and laughed and they said what am I going to do with this and they took and they just threw it into the ocean and I believe then they kidnapped X, Y, and Z people and this guy who was a young kid when this happened he winds, he winds up later being reunited with his family but it was this, for him it was this like you know paradigm shift that stuck with him with this idea of like of what good is money when things get tight and when adversity really takes over and you're in this place of extreme conflict, it becomes absolutely worthless, right? There's those images, I think, in the Cold War where you have those kids playing with the communist, uh, like, thousands of dollars and using it as a dollhouse or something like that because it no longer had any value. It was totally worthless. And there's this really great documentary, not a documentary, a film, about... Uh, the doctor goes into the Amazon searching shamanic medicine to heal himself. I think it's called something, The Serpent, Colombian film, black and white, a couple years ago came out, Embrace the Serpent or something like that. And there's a scene where he goes to the shaman and he tries to give him money and the shaman just goes, what good is this? You can't eat this, only ants eat this and he just throws it on the jungle floor. So understanding where our values are and understanding what is actually substantial and what is totally worthless. Makes you think about the allegory of the cave, right? The guys holding up the, the wooden signs, images in front of a fire, and it holds no value. It's just a shadow portrayed on the wall to keep people distracted and chained. Marcus Aurelius. Today I escaped from the crush of circumstances, or better put, I threw them out. For the crush wasn't from outside me, but in my own assumptions. So, understanding that it's not what happens but to us, but it's how we respond. 
You can take the worst thing in the world, externally speaking, and turn into something you would never trade away. That you are so grateful it happened. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I just didn't realize it at the time. The sooner you can practice, not just think about, but practice this premise, stoically speaking, practice it, the sooner that terrible situation can be something that's very positive. It's like, this was the best thing that ever happened. I needed this to happen. So spare yourself the trouble and adopt that perspective from the beginning. Throw the crush of circumstances out because it's coming from within. Epictetus, for there are two rules to keep at the ready, that there is nothing good or bad outside my own recent choice and that we shouldn't try to lead events but to follow them. That's a really beautiful part at the end there. Shouldn't try to lead events but to follow them. This is just like in the Tao it says that the, the master leads by being behind. The master is always ahead, which is the master is always behind, which is why she is ahead. So understanding, right, that also within our own self is good and bad. It's not out there. It's not imposed upon us from the outside. It's how we are making sense and understanding what's happening to us. So this is, you know, why the Stoics value contemplation really heavily. And I might have mentioned this on the last episode on the stoic thing but i was re-listening to some stuff with uh, robert thurman talking about tibetan buddhism the other day he was saying right like it's not about entering into a state of consciousness where there's no one there and i thought it was really interesting he said he was with the dalai lama who was his like direct teacher and who ordained him initially into the monastic tradition you know back in the 70s or 60s uh when he was a monk for six years and he's with the dalai lama you know years later being an academic scholar of tibetan buddhism they remained friends and there's a talk where someone's like, oh, in Western psychology, the whole point is you go there to a psychotherapist as a nobody trying to become a somebody. And you go to the Buddhists as somebody trying to become a nobody. And everyone laughs. And Robert Thurman was about to interrupt. And the Dalai Lama was like, holds him back. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. It's okay. And, you know, it's funny because, like, Ram Dass has a book called Becoming Nobody. <laughs> And I recently heard at a meditation someone talk about this, like, I'm nobody, right? And what Robert Thurman is trying to impart upon people from his deep study of the Tibetan tradition is it's not about nobody. It's about recognizing, like, that you are, at your core, only a relational self, right? It's like that you are you are connected with everybody else. So you as an isolated entity don't exist. But you are, at the same time, relation to everyone else. Uh, and this idea of, like, we don't want to become into this totally empty nothingness state of consciousness. We're not trying to obliterate ourselves like we're on some heroin trip and, like, that's all we're going. We're just like drooling there. I don't think anything and I have no capacity to do anything because I've transcended all that and I'm just totally nobody. I am just like incapacitated and not, whatever you want to describe it as, you get the idea. And you say, no, it's, it's to recognize like, first of all, that what we take to be ourself is in a lot of ways just something that is shifting and changing in relational and it's not permanent 
And the part of us that's permanent is the deeper part of awareness. But we're still connected to, you can never really get rid of yourself, is what he's saying. And then in addition to that, we want to utilize the intellect. We don't want to obliterate it. We want to train the intellect to use it as a tool, to use it to guide us in right action, to guide us in moral, morality, to guide us in reasoned choice, as Epictetus is saying here, to keep us in a place of being sharp. It was funny, when I saw the Dalai Lama back in 2019, he was super sharp. Like, And he's going to meditation uh, halls and they're not just sitting quietly there's a lecture going on or excuse me a debate that's going on about this high complicated philosophy of emptiness which you know I'm sure you could boil it down into a very simple way but it gets very like out there in, in, in many shapes and forms and how it's expressed and the Dalai Lama when he finally gets a turn to talk super sharp and like very present talking as if you're listening to someone who's like 25 or something very passionate and engaged with everything you're not talking to someone that's just like you know like she's just totally stoned or something like that this is someone that's deeply deeply present deeply engaged and deeply connected and deeply aware so why we're studying philosophy on a spiritual path because the rational mind is something that's important it's not to be discarded we're not trying to and turn to a place of just blank stare. We're trying to be in a place where we are engaged, simultaneously understanding that what we take to be self is illusionary. And that was another thing I really liked that Robert Thurman was talking about, saying that it's not so much an illusion as it is illusionary. Illusory, I don't know the word, whatever it is. It's, it's not exactly what it is, but it is kind of what it is. <laughs> so for instance, if I walk up to you and hit you in the face with the baseball bat, you're going to feel it. It's going to hurt. You can't really like meditate your way out of that necessarily from having the experience. <laughs> it's, you know, you're going to experience it. But to understand that you are not an isolated self and it's not an isolated incident and that there's a web of interconnection that is causing the churn and the flow and arising of circumstances that's led for that bat to hit you in the face and there's not so much just an individual you and a separate me but some sort of action almost like one finger hitting another finger if that's a accurate way to explain it on the same hand okay so it's not so much you did this to me but we did it to ourselves <laughs> nonetheless not saying we're gonna Remove responsibility. If I hit you in the face with a bat, I will take the responsibility for it. Forgive me. <laughs> Seneca. I may wish to be free from torture, but if the time comes for me to endure it, I'll wish to bear it courageously with bravery and honor. Wouldn't I prefer not to fall into war? But if war does befall me, I'll wish to carry nobly the wounds, starvation, and other necessities of war. Neither am I so crazy as to desire illness, but if I must suffer illness, I'll wish to do nothing rash or dishonorable. The point is not to wish for these adversities, but for the virtue that makes adversities bearable. This quote right is saying to us, we don't need to seek out trouble. But we do need to prepare ourselves for when it comes. And we need to be willing and able to bear it with, as he says, courage, bravery, 
honor and to be in alignment with the virtue. What would someone, how would a Stoic respond to being tortured? And there's the famous tale, John Stockdale, shot down over Vietnam and captured and sent to prison for seven years. And as he's falling, he says, I'm leaving the world of technology and entering the world of Epictetus. And how can you take that situation where he says to himself, I know this would be pain, suffering, and death on the other side, and it could be many years, but I must find a way to endure this and take it where I will not have wished for anything else in my life. So having the right attitude, right mindset, at the same time, like, we don't need to prove anything. If everything is just, like, chill and we just enjoy life and go surfing and eat great sandwiches and everything's, like, you know, relaxed, fantastic. That's great. We don't need to go out and, you know, self-emulate ourselves or anything like that. But if such things come to our door, we will be prepared. We will be ready. We will have studied and practiced enough that we understand it is just what on some crazy way the doctor ordered for us. Marcus Aurelius, people seek retreats for themselves in the country, by the sea, or in the mountains. You are very much in the habit of yearning for those same things, but this is entirely the trait of a base person, wherein you can, at any moment, find such a retreat in yourself, for nowhere can you find a more peaceful and less busy retreat than in your own soul especially if on close inspection it is filled with ease, which I say is nothing more than being well-ordered. Treat yourself often to this retreat and be renewed. So there is that phrase where they say, like, God wants to hide from humanity. He goes up in the mountains. Oh, they'll just climb up there. He goes to the bottom of the sea. They'll just swim down there goes to the farthest desert they'll just ride a camel out there and God says oh I know where I will go I will go where they will never look I will go inside them so look within if you have ever been to the really beautiful place I one time went to the Lakshadweep Islands in India look them up on Google super it's like the you know classic desktop islands I went out there it was crazy it was like this boat ride for a day and a half and only like 20 people could be on the island at a time it was pretty inexpensive incredible scuba diving but wow i was like 21 at the time not even i was 20 and uh super cool place but i remember going there at one point i was like i feel depressed <laughs> i was like how could you be depressed look where you are it's such an immaculately beautiful place just simple revelation like it's not where you are externally speaking it's what's happening inside of you so cultivate that inner space make a home in there so that what's ever happening out there is just on the surface epictetus what is it then to be properly educated it is learning to apply our natural preconceptions to the right things according to nature and beyond that to separate the things that lie within our power from those that don't. So this is once again one of these stoic reminders of align yourself with nature, understand that what you have control over is inside of you, not from without. The consistent, constant reminder of this. 
Seneca. The diseases of the rational soul are long-standing and hardened vices such as greed and ambition. They have put the soul in a straitjacket and have begun to permanent evils inside it. To put it briefly, this sickness is an unrelenting distortion of judgment, so things that are only mildly desirable are vigorously sought after. Well, I like that last part. Things that are only mildly desirable are vigorously sought after. I could just think about like Black Friday and all the people lighting up to, you know, bum rush store and Walmart for toys and things like that. It, it, you know, Sears, I got to get that spatula. <laughs> so just understanding like what are we pursuing? Like are we even aware? Or is it just like does dopamine and the activity of shopping totally consume us? Do we even really want this stuff? Or is it there's just something that we're trying to avoid that we're just trying to, you know, block out? And that's why we're saying it, greed and ambition, not just greed, but ambition to be the best, puts the soul in a straitjacket, right? You can just think about it, like, just coming back, I'd like to talk about dopamine and serotonin, serotonin being appreciation of the here and now, things as they are, dopamine being craving, drive, motivation, you know, which one leads us to a place of a more peaceful world? Both are necessary, one isn't bad, the other isn't good, we're just talking about how things can just consume us. You know, thinking about someone that becomes an addict of heroin. It's like they just craving something to the point where it's destroying them, but they're still seeking it out, right? It's like, what good is that thing? Nothing. But you're just caught in that cycle of craving something. Epictetus. Eat like a human being, drink like a human being, dress up, marry, have children, get politically active, suffer abuse, bear with the headstrong brother, father, son, neighbor, or companion. Show us things so that we can see that you've truly learned from the philosophers. This sounds very much like do not drop out. This is like turn on, tune in, and get engaged, participate, show up, uh, understand what it's like to be a human being they like to say you know you are not just a human being you're a spiritual being coping with the human experience so then cope with it get involved with it understand what it is but not from a place of automatic reaction like he said what have you learned from the philosophers it's only through the adversity and the friction and the challenges he's mentioned specifically get politically active right which means like that we're engaging with what's happening in our times. It doesn't necessarily need to mean you vote or something like that, in my opinion. It just means like you show up and participate, and you do so in a way, though, that reflective of Stoic virtues and values, of control, self-control, that is, temperance, equanimity, courage, justice, faith, compassion, service. Act in such a way. Set an example be that change demonstrate it through how you behave deal with the frustration paradox and dichotomy of life and do so in a way where you act with like the stoic heart so to speak don't just sit there and remain on the couch you must take action i read one quote 
I was in a meditation thing the other night, and I was sharing like I had to sit on the couch because I I busted my knee up right, and uh, <laughs> I was telling everyone you know there's a quote that says there are no mistakes because you only learn through these mistakes. That's how lessons are activated for us to grow, and only someone that's being active in trying something new and and being engaged with the world is someone that is learning and growing so the only real mistake is to just sit on the couch and do nothing and i was like well i'm sitting on the couch right now as i say that so i don't know what that means (laughs) nonetheless what he's encouraging us here is just to be you know engaged with the world don't just be a dropout that's not really what we're aiming for here that's not compassionate action that's selfishness in a certain degree epictetus Freedom isn't secured by filling up your heart's desire, but by removing your desire. So, pretty profound and simple premise. Understanding that desires are endless, and that the only way to effectively become satisfied is to tame our desires, not obtaining more things, which is... In complete contrast to what a lot of things American society stands for, consumer culture and the stock market and so on and so forth, understanding that more is not better, less might be more. Having nothing or minimal might be the remedy. <laughs> what about the economy? <laughs> well, you know, maybe there's more important things like not totally obliterating the complete planet and all life on it. I don't know, seems mildly important. (laughs) Only when we have cut down all the trees, killed all the animals, poisoned all the water, polluted all the air, we realize you can't eat money. So, as any addict will tell you, freedom is not obtaining more of what you are craving. So, moderation, temperance, being okay with just what is and what is here as it is. That is freedom. Fill your cup to the brim, it will spill. <laughs> Desires wither the heart, says Lao Tzu. Desires wither the heart. Marcus Aurelius, how does your ruling reason manage itself? For in that, is the key to everything. Whatever else remains, be it in the power of your choice, is not but a corpse and smoke. Makes me think, for whatever reason, only Jesus saying, let the dead bury the dead, in the Bhagavad Gita, the learned grieve neither for the living nor the dead. Just this idea of, like, let go of what is outside of our control. Understand that. The kingdom of heaven is within. Freedom is within. And this is what we must direct our focus towards. Diogenes Laertius. Diogenes of Sinope said, We sell things of great value for things of very little and vice versa. I'm going to read that again. 
We sell things of great value for things of very little and vice versa. How much are we just giving up our peace of mind for a bunch of paper, for status, for appearing to be something that we're not? If you sacrifice anything for your peace of mind, and I would go so far as to say pretty much anything, if you think about it more deeply enough, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Inner peace is the the currency of what pretty much value. If we are being like, I'm going to do all this wonderful service work for people and then get super stressed out and miserable about it, of what service are you really providing anybody? <laughs> it doesn't seem very beneficial to anyone for you to become miserable. So understanding, right, like we must protect our peace of mind. It doesn't mean that we don't become uncomfortable and challenge ourselves and you know, ignite adversity in our framework. You know, Seneca was not saying a few quotes back, don't come in contact with adversity. In fact, I would say he says many times, seek it out. He's saying, you know, extreme adversity, of course, right? Torture and war and things like that. So we're, we're, Stoicism is very much about like seek out adversity intentionally. I forgot who it was, but one of the Stoics, it might've been Seneca or Epic or someone they would intentionally jump into a frozen lake on new year's day every new year in order to kind of like become more present and aware and activated and so on and so forth all the things that cold water does so that's a very stoic thing like physically discipline oneself you know as a way to discipline the mind and understand that when we are trading away our peace of mind that is the most important thing that we have once we lose that, everything else is pointless. And if you disagree with me, ask someone that has become schizophrenic, <laughs> who used to have a really wonderful life, perhaps, or someone that's all of a sudden dealing with horrific depression or anxiety that's crippling, debilitating. They will say that until that situation is resolved, everything else is pretty much irrelevant. It starts from within. It's the foundation. Seneca Life without a design is erratic. As soon as one is in place, principles become necessary. I think you'll coincide that nothing is more shameful than uncertain and wavering conduct in beating a cowardly retreat. This will happen in all our affairs unless we remove the faults that seize and detain our spirits, preventing them from pushing forward and making an all-out effort. Live intentional. Live conscious. Have a plan. Understand where you're going, why you're going there, and how you're getting there, and what the point is. To not just be aimlessly floating around. Because what does that mean? It means you're being governed by your impulses, by your desires, by your craving, by your aversion, your dislikes. When we become intentional, we understand that like the only way to get to our goal is to deal with the duality, the adversity and the pain and the difficulty and the suffering, but simultaneously the victory and the reward and the benefits and the fruits and to approach both from a place of non-attachment to have, as he says, principles being like, okay, when things get tough, we're not going to just cave in. When the benefit comes, we're going to understand that when life looks like easy street, there's trouble at your door. Don't get too attached. Have that equanimity to deal with both. Enjoy things when they come don't get attached don't cave in when things are difficult be intentional understand that if you want to get somewhere even if where you're trying to get to on some level is just here 
<laughs> it is in many ways difficult. Epictetus. If you should ever turn your will to things outside your control in order to impress someone, be sure that you have wrecked your whole purpose in life. Be content, then, to be a philosopher in all that you do, and if you wish, also to be seen as one. Show yourself first that you are and you will succeed. And the Tao Te Ching, seek approval from others and you will become a slave to them. Think just the whole premise of how we sell ourselves out and once again all of us have said no when we meant to say yes have failed to speak up when we should have said something and we're not perfect but this is a very good barometer to keep that if you are caving in to be liked then you have in many ways failed for what you're here for. Maybe you were here to shake things up and challenge the status quo, but here you are reinforcing it. You have failed. (laughs) Wrecked your purpose in life. (laughs) So understand that conformity is in opposition to your philosophical values orienting towards freedom. Marcus Aurelius, hurry to your own ruling reason, to the reason of the whole and to your neighbors, to your own mind to make it just, to the mind of the whole to remember your place in it, and to your neighbor's mind to learn whether it's ignorant or of sound knowledge while recognizing it's like yours. Understanding the forces that are governing us. Learn if your neighbor is ignorant or of sound knowledge. (laughs) Recognizing either way isn't just like you. There's universality to how we are formulated. Nonetheless, there are individuations of things, but we have to recognize humbly that we are ignorant just like everybody else. Clueless like everybody else. Even if we are sometimes of sound knowledge, we are all definitely very ignorant a lot of the time. So ruthlessly seeking within ourselves what is governing us at this moment is it ignorance is it need for to fit in to be accepted to be loved to liked, or to do what is our divine duty as they would say marcus aurelius chasing what can't be done is madness but the base person isn't able to do anything else understanding right that we can't control the outside world Ram Dass says all I can do is work on myself that's it and this is right like this is why Al-Anon exists the 12 step program for people living with alcoholics because they come oriented and conditioned into thinking that they can just change the other person and everything will be fine if they can just change something in the outside world then everything will be fine person will stop drinking or stop acting like that but the reality is no like we the only thing that we can do is work on ourselves we have to start within it's an inside job and to do anything else will just be the definition of madness marcus aurelius 
Your mind will take the shape of what you frequently hold in thought, for the human spirit is colored by such impressions. Makes you think of the Buddha, for all that we are is what we have thought. Understanding the foundations of the mind in shaping us into the people that we want to become. There's a really great quote that says, you don't find yourself, you create yourself. Understanding that we have to take a assertive, initiated, activated role in becoming the person we want to be, taking responsibility for how we turn out and what happens to us. It's not someone else that did it to you. If this person hadn't treated me like this, so-so, blah, 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 all these things. But the reality is, is that you are the one who is sculpting your own life. And it's not to say that there aren't immense difficulties that we don't inherit that we inherit from other people, but if we approach things as a philosopher, the philosopher's stone, the alchemist stone, right? Become an alchemist, whatever all these things are talking about, then the greater the burden, the more fertilizer it is and fuel for the fire of transformation. Utilize it to your advantage. Drama combat. This is coming from Marcus Aurelius. Drama, combat, terror, numbness, and subservience. Every day these things wipe out your sacred principles whenever your mind entertains them uncritically or lets them slip in. He's saying discipline your mind. You must discipline your mind. These things are going to come at you anyway. Even if you're the most disciplined person in the world who has nothing but beautiful, wonderful thoughts all the time, Drama, combat, terror, and so on and so forth will start in the outside and be thrust and sent at you. It's just inevitable. It's almost like part of the script is like the more light you have, the bigger the shadows, so to speak, I've heard Maestrum and Wells say. And so it is up to us because no one else has control over our own mind but us to effectively deal with those things in a discerning manner. Have self-discipline about what we allow in. The Buddha says, right, the one who gets angry, it's like swallowing poison and expecting it to kill the other person. Right? We have to look at, like, we are allowing ourselves to become infected and polluted with poison. And then we have convinced ourselves that we need to get more of it. And then watching it wreak havoc on our lives. And I've just been like personally thinking about like people who behave belligerently angry. And like I've definitely behaved belligerently angry before. I've done all kinds of crazy things. (laughs) Just like everybody else. But I've just been like studying the personality type of someone that feels empowered from anger. And I've talked about this thing on the podcast before. Like there was this study I learned from Andrew Hooverman. He said they had some controversial study like in the 60s or something where they hooked up electrodes to people and they could stimulate different parts of their brain. And the part that was most popular to stimulate was the part that (laughs) would make you feel like mildly irritated and angry. And everyone was like, what? Like, Why the hell would you want to feel like that? And it turned out it's because being mildly angry and irritated releases like this low, steady flow of dopamine and it's it's funny right but it also kind of makes sense it's like a survival thing when anger arises within us we need to well generally speaking you're being attacked by something right 
that's most often the case, you know, biologically, the intrinsic design of nature, if anger arises in an organism, it's probably because something is imposing itself upon that organism, right? It needs to defend itself, so it needs to become empowered and strong, and the dopamine allows the organism to survive and push forward and deal off pain and so on and so forth. Of course, if you just, you know, ever hit your head in the top of a trunk door, I, we all seem to just get so pissed off about that, right? <laughs> like oh and then you want to scream at somebody but you just realize you just did it to yourself but still you get really angry and then you you know you feel like as our teachers as much friend well like addicted you feel like activated from the adrenaline of the anger and the dopamine and uh it's a very tricky thing because it makes us feel big it makes us feel able to move through obstacles but more often than not it just leads us to shooting ourselves and others in the foot or the face and totally damaging things that are important and sacred and sensitive and fragile. And we become belligerent. And it's just like an interesting thing to study. And remembering to like study it in yourself. And this was another thing that motivated me into wanting to train jujitsu. was just like not becoming like free uh, wheeling aggressive or something like that. But to like take those like animalistic I parts of the self which are present in all human beings and have an appropriate channel for them so that they are not unconsciously arising spontaneously without uh, you having uh, a say in it and so you know in the movie Life of Pi right the tiger on the boat that's us we're stuck on this little boat in the very vast ocean and there's a giant tiger that wants to kill us and you well, better feed it. So you have to feed your tiger. So in this process of becoming disciplined, as Marcus Aurelius speaks of, it's important to feed your tiger. So drama, combat, terror, numbness, like, you know, those are certain things that happen in martial arts. There's great drama. It's combat. It can be frightening, and at some moments your limbs go numb. But it's like part of the discipline is to find a safe container to enact and take on these cast away aspects of the self and that's why like, theater can be really liberating punk rock music right heavy metal they say heavy metal music if you listen to it scientifically speaking leads to less depression and anxiety there's something cathartic about it but you know if you're listening to it and you're like some you know this is super it's like Al Gore's wife or something like that, or Nancy Reagan, you're like, it's the devil's music and all that stuff. But the reality is, is that it actually is, it's basically sending a vibration into the person's system that is allowing them to experience their own inner demons in a controlled manner so that their own inner demons do not just spontaneously arise. So I'm kind of adding on to Marcus Aurelius's thing here. It's like you need to control with yourself but then simultaneously you need to create a space where you can release such things in the zen osho tarot they talk about a room where you in japan i think it is i forgot the name where you can just go and smash all kinds of stuff <laughs> so it's like you can feel all the repressed anger and frustration the things that just arise from being an animal in this like modern society or having an animal aspect to our psyche in this modern society of course not limited to that and so just to add on, like, you know, discipline by discerning and keeping these things out of our consciousness, but then find a space in which you can invoke them 
where it is not damaging to yourself or to others. Like, you know, one thing I love about jujitsu, they're saying, like, this is a place where strangers can choke each other out, then afterwards, like, smile and, like, shake hands, and you feel more intimately connected with them. <laughs> it's, like, it's perfect for that. So you have a safe space where it's, like, we understand that, like, this is not about someone trying to unload on somebody else. Of course, in some contexts, I'm sure it happens. But ultimately, like, we're using the fire of the aggression, of the anger, of the drama, combat, terror, numbness, as a purifying fire. For us to become more peaceful, harmonious, and relaxed and at ease with ourselves and the rest of the world. Seneca. Circumstances are what deceive us. You must be discerning in them. We embrace evil before good. We desire the opposite of what we once desired. Our prayers are at war with our prayers. Our plans with our plans. Yeah, this comes to me in a lot of ways like understanding that uh our prayers are at war with our prayers like we want peace but then when something happens we just ah! <laughs> we become freaking crazy and you're like okay what was the point of you sitting in that 20 hour ceremony meditation cold plunge fasting all this stuff why are you doing all that and then you choose to do the opposite lack of self-control need more discipline things are deceiving us sensory perceptions are deceptive the problem is not out there there is no out there wait a minute <laughs> this is a lot of trickery <laughs> so let's be understanding that that person is not putting that emotion in you the same person could do the same thing to someone else and they could laugh about it i've seen it happen you tell one person a joke, they laugh, the other person is repulsed and gets really angry. You made me so upset. No. No, that's not true. How can it make you upset and this person happy? You re reacted unconsciously to it to make yourself angry and have poisoned yourself with that. Marcus Aurelius, make sure you're not made emperor. Avoid that imperial stain. It can happen to you, so keep yourself simple, good, pure, saintly, plain, a friend of justice, God-fearing, gracious, affectionate, and strong for your proper work. Fight to remain the person that philosophy wished to make you. Revere the gods and look after each other. Life is short. The fruit of this life is a good character and acts for the common good. So, he is writing this to himself never intended anyone to publish it allegedly i mean who knows maybe he was like oh they're all gonna read this later and think i was such a wonderful guy <laughs> probably not the case but he's saying right like remain humble the whole point of the practice is not to become a world leader and it's interesting too right the magi or whatever came to the buddha the buddha's father and said he will either become a great king and warrior and political ruler or he will become the spiritual leader and renounce all of that so marcus aurelius is saying here even though he's taking on the presentation and the play of quote-unquote emperor avoid it that imperial stain keep yourself simple good pure plain keep yourself plain i just think that to me like that's a profound thing watch why i love stoicism 
where we're it's like basically putting on a pedestal. Let's be plain. <laughs> Let's just keep it simple, man. We don't need to be all complicated. We don't need to wear like a huge headdress and decorate ourselves and, you know, the whole thing. But at the same time, like, you know, he participates. He's the emperor of Rome. He's in service. He carries out what needs to be done in the way it needs to be done. And then he says here, life is short. The fruit of this life is a good character and acts for the common good. I feel like that's just a profound revelation right there for anybody. The fruit of this life is good character and it acts for the common good. Epictetus. First off, don't let the force of the impression carry you away. Say to it, hold up a bit and let me see who you are and where you are from. Let me put you to the test. And I see this, right? Equanimity, mindfulness, non-reactivity, being curious about our experiences and not just jumping to conclusions right away, trying to hold space and not just impose our sense of what is happening immediately on the situation. Marcus Aurelius, when you first rise in the morning, tell yourself, I will encounter busybodies, ingrates, egomaniacs, liars, the jealous, and cranks. They are all stricken with these afflictions because they don't know the difference between good and evil. Because I have understood the beauty of good and the ugliness of evil, I know that these wrongdoers are still akin to me, and that none can do me harm or implicate me in ugliness, nor can I be angry at my relatives or hate them, for we are made for cooperation. This is one of my favorite Stoic quotes. Uh, I've sent this to a number of people who've come to me with certain situations where they're just they've at, they're at a loss for what to do, and then when they see this quote, they're like, oh... <laughs> this premise right of like you cannot come to life with the expectation that other people are going to be practicing this in fact you have to come to life with the opposite that they're going to be practicing the opposite that they are here to be an egomaniac like that's what the environment essentially wants them to do they're here to do something unjust and dangerous and insane and be jealous and be a total prick <laughs> and all these things like that's what they're here for they're part of the environment as well and it's not our place to get angry at them or hate them it's our place to function in a cooperative way it's our way to it's our duty to be the best that we can be and to, you know, be disciplined with ourself and relax with others. That's one of the good protocols, stoically speaking. So we need to recognize, like, we can't change the outside world. These people are here. They're part of the environment. We need to set an example of how we behave and how we carry on with our own inner space. And every day, tell yourself, I'm going to come in contact with that again and again and again. And until we come to a place of full acceptance, we're not going to be free from it. So it's best to just come to terms with reality first thing when you rise in the morning, as Marcus Aurelius here says. But to not lose your values in the process of that humbling recognition. 
And, you know, this is, I just want to share this last thing too about it, is that it's like, this is a very healing thing to recognize too. Because if you think about the Holocaust, if you think about what happened in like Cambodia, any genocide, right? What What is at the basis of a genocide? It's this idea that by if we just kill enough people, <laughs> like we'll get rid of all the ones we don't like. If we just kill them all, you know, this idea, this insane idea. If we can just kill all the people that don't look the way that we want to look and sound the way that we want to sound, think like us, then everything will be good. And just like the insanity of that and that this perspective that he's offering here is the remedy to that. Is recognizing like we can't imprison them all, we can't torture them all, we can't kill them all, we can't, uh, you know, we can't do anything about it to just or we can't eradicate the problem. Like that's a really important thing. You know, I have all these ants that come in my house in the summertime. When I first moved up here, it kind of bothered me. I think I might have killed a few, to be honest with you guys. I'm just keep it, you know, my humble uh, admittance of guilt there. <laughs> But uh, then over time, I just realized, like, oh, you know what? Like, they're just part of the environment. And now, like, I'm stoked when the ants come. Like, oh, it's cool. The warm the weather's warm. Here come the ants. And they'll, like, climb on the food and stuff. And they'll be, like, in the bathroom every now and then. I'm like, oh, wow, cool. There's an ant, like, above my bed. That's like, fantastic. I love it. And, like, you know, I've come to just welcome them as part of the environment. It's like, the ants live here, too. When I lived in Brooklyn, we had all these cockroaches and stuff. And I remember our teacher was like, you just got to embrace it. It's like... They're part of the environment. They live here too. The cockroach people, they don't bite us. They're not so bad. You know, so just understanding like, once again, like this is coming back to this idea of like our connection with nature. And this is a very, uh, you just think about like the watering hole, right? Like you go to the watering hole in Africa or wherever, all the animals are there. You know, the turtles and the crocodiles, hippos, whatever. And they understand it's like, yeah, we're all part of the ecosystem. And like some of us are going to kill the other ones. And some of us are just going to try to protect ourselves. And some of us look fluffy and some of us look ferocious and so on and so forth all in between. But we're all part of this and we all have to operate together. And there's something within the framework of nature that says, yes, this is how it's supposed to be. Though at times it hurts. But it's an antidote to this like really industrial perspective that we can just kill everything that we don't agree with. And that's the solution. No, the solution is to accept. Epictetus. There are two things that must be rooted out in human beings. Arrogant opinion and mistrust. Arrogant opinion expects that there is nothing further needed. And mistrust assumes that under the torrent of circumstance, there can be no happiness. So once we have arrived, we know that we have made a big mistake. So I've heard it said many times, don't become too comfortable. You know, that's the, that's the practice is to always be a little unsure about what's happening. But at the same time, he says here, mistrust is not what we're seeking. We're trying to root that out as well. So having a humility and like a lack of self-knowledge is not mistrust. Uh, but having confidence in our not knowing, that seems to be harmonious from what I'm gathering here. And just understanding like we need to have faith, right? Not that we know. 
but faith that we can align ourselves with things. Epictetus, when it comes to money, where we feel our clear interest, we have an entire art where the tester uses many means to discover the worth. Just as we have great attention to judging things that might steer us badly, when it comes to our own ruling principle, we yawn and doze off accepting any appearance that flashes by without counting the cost. Right? That someone's going to sell you something, how thoroughly you will test it to make sure it's the real deal. But when something happens, we just immediately, why did that happen? And why you shouldn't it happen like that? But like, wait, huh, huh. maybe you don't know how the whole thing planned is being planned out where it's going, how it's unfolding, how it even got here. <laughs> Maybe I didn't make a mistake. Maybe I didn't do anything wrong. Maybe someone told me false information that, you know, you guess what you gather what I'm trying to get out here. Point being that like we need to suspend our judgments of things, our reactivity. The reactive mind is not our friend. The reactive mind is causing us a lot of misery and we must approach our own reactions in the same way we would a potentially counterfeit dollar bill from another person. Epictetus, from the very beginning, make it your practice to say to every harsh impression, you are an impression and not at all what you appear to be. Next, examine and test it by the rules you possess, the first and greatest of which is this whether it belongs to the things in our control or not in control, and if the latter be prepared to respond, it is nothing to me. So if you're feeling yourself getting heated and worked up about something, check. Are you really in control of that situation? If you're not, don't further compound your misery. Let it go. Let things be. Let there be peace in the world by finding peace in yourself. Epictetus, it isn't events themselves that disturb people, but only their judgments about them. Self-explanatory. Epictetus, throw out your conceited opinions, for it is impossible for a person to learn what he thinks he already knows. Once again, pretty self-explanatory. I like what Ryan Holiday writes here, quoting... A guessing it's Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, Emerson put it well, every man I meet is my, mas my master in some point, and in that I learn of him. And, you know, this is the idea of, like, you're always a student, and you can always learn from everything and everyone around you. How can you always be a student? How can you take that mentality and find their opportunity for growth and discovery through every certain circumstance, person, and thing around you. Okay, I'm going to leave this episode here. I want to try to break this into smaller fragments and make it a little bit more digestible in that regard as opposed to just releasing one giant endless clip. We've made it to page 126 of 429. You know, it's funny, even with like a busted up knee, I still found a way to travel to the uh, Colorado and come back. So whatever I was talking about in that first episode saying I have endless time is totally delusional. It's amazing how one can get in a place where you have to stop what you're doing and it's so difficult to do it. I found myself like ripping up my front porch yesterday, like I'm sitting on the ground. 
I can't walk. <laughs> and I'm like ripping up the porch with a crowbar. And then I was like thinking about it. I was like, I must be totally insane, man. That's just like, need to need to learn to relax a little bit more. Nonetheless, I also, it's like, you know, you're trying to grapple with this idea of uh, how can we do the most with the limited capacity that we have, whatever life limitations are throwing at us. Because then once we're able to, you know, get back into full swing, then we're like, we're really kicking. But of course, right, like we were talking about, don't let it sacrifice your peace of mind. I kept ripping up the porch because I was enjoying ripping up the porch. It was it was cathartic. It was kind of like what Marcus Aurelius was saying, or rather what I was saying about that quote. You know, the act of ripping up a porch was uh, kind of therapeutic in a certain way. At one moment, I got kind of angry at the porch because <laughs> the the board was stuck and I couldn't figure out where it was and I just took the screwdriver and slammed it down and I was like yeah okay I am kind of crazy <laughs> but you know at the same time it was in a controlled safe <laughs> and uh what's the word appropriate location so anyways kind of rambling about all that stuff here I'm going to keep talking about stoicism because as it says right here if you want to learn you know you must begin to let go of thinking you already know. I've read this book. I've listened to it. I've listened to all this stuff. But I want to keep going through it over and over again. And the best way that I really learned to actually uh, appropriately digest the nutrients of anything is to teach it. It's the way you really get to the core of the situation because you have to rethink and reanalyze and explain it from someone else's perspective, not just automatically taking the impression. Okay, uh, yeah, you can't learn something if you already know. Okay, okay, okay. But instead, you have to think about that. Like, what does that mean? How can I say something about that that will resonate with someone else in the way that it's resonated with me? To really think like that, it gets you outside of an ordinary way of thinking. It brings you to a much deeper place of understanding, which we must hold as sacred, Marcus Aurelius says. So... The importance, I think, of like verbally speaking it out loud, too, is essential because when we think things, you can just be thinking and it's like really fast and there's no um, there's no need to edit anything. There's no need to slow yourself down necessarily. But if you're speaking out loud and other people, you really have to pause and reflect and really make sure you're approaching the content and your expression of it from the right degree of mindfulness. So I think that public speaking, you know, is like one of the most powerful medicines you can come in contact with. You know, and they say like people <laughs> would rather die sometimes than give, uh, you know, speak in public. Like that's that frightens them more almost than death, which is like this very absurd thing, right? Like that we're just, we have such a terrible paranoia of uh, looking ridiculous. And I've had this like unique opportunity the past however many years, decade or so, not decade, I would say more like seven years about, um, a little bit longer than that actually, because doing stuff with teaching music to groups of people, of doing a decent amount of public speaking, and like I've had moments where I've totally failed and felt so ridiculous and embarrassed, and other moments where it's been like the most like epic thing ever. And it's truly like an amazing sparring partner is public speaking. And I'm sharing about this right now because I'm public speaking on some degree. No one's here present with me other than some ants that are crawling up the ceiling. 
but we're talking about how teaching something, even if you don't know it, like I don't, I'm not mastered all this stuff at all. If you spend time with me, like for instance, I just mentioned that I slammed the screwdriver into the, <laughs> the floorboard the other day. Uh, but like speaking about it, it creates a certain depth and connection with it that we're hoping with enough practice and cultivation will be more firm and disciplined than our reactive sense impressions and the quickness of our mind. So something to think about. If you really think you know something, try teaching it and it'll be a revelation and then try doing it in public to people, speak about it. And you will definitely find out what you do and do not know and what you do and do not have control over. Um, and remembering just that there's not always necessarily opportunities for us to speak in public. And that was in a lot of ways what gave birth to this podcast. I couldn't go out and travel for a period of time during the pandemic and I couldn't share things with people. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go sit in my room and pretend everyone's in front of me and do it that way. So there's always a creative way to speak and to teach and to get things out there and to think outside of the box. So um, thanks for listening to this. I hope it was beneficial to you. And I will continue with more stoicism on the next episode. Until then, peace. Take it easy.